0: You're listening to The Engine Room, a podcast by Midlands Connect, covering transport, investment, the economy, sustainability, and more. Today, in our second HS2 instalment, we bust some of the common myths and misconceptions surrounding High Speed 2 from It's just about getting to London faster and we should spend the money on local transport instead. Busting those myths with us again is Gareth Dennis. So, Gareth, thanks for joining us for part two of our our HS2 podcast series. Um, Now, anyone who knows you knows that you are a HS supporter, HS2 supporter, or an educator, a commentator. um, And you know firsthand the project itself hasn't always proved too popular With ordinary people. (laughs) Now, given that there are lots of misconceptions and misinformation out there about the project, I thought we could use this opportunity to run through some of the common criticisms and objections that the every man and the every woman has about HS2, HS2 Mythbuster, if you will. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: So, firstly, I wondered if you could respond to uh, this old chestnut that I'm sure you've heard many times. What would you say, um, and I know you have um, addressed this question, to someone who said to you, HS2 is all about getting to London faster?
1: Yeah, as you say, we touched on this in, in part one, but I think it's worth, we can expand on some of the, th- some of the themes I, I touched on there, really. So I think one of the key things to communicate is that HS2 is, you know, the main benefit of HS2 is not on HS2 at all. So this, this idea that it's, you know, the, the idea firstly that it's 20 minutes. I mean, it's actually 35 minutes. um <laughs> And if you're in Manchester, it's actually even more than that. Wow. But that's kind of besides the point because the main benefit is about getting more, uh, the best way, right. So I I managed, the, my one of my proudest achievements to date was managing to convince the Guardian to change their editorial stance on HS2. So they actually explicitly support it. And how did I achieve this? I achieved this by sending poor Helen Pidd to go and stand at, Winsford station at rush hour um which is a, I would not recommend it for anyone but what, the reason i did that is because she went and stood at the platform and i said what you're going to do helen is count how many trains go through without stopping at rush hour and then count how many trains do stop uh, and and helen julie reported back to me she said well you know what i counted out like 12 or maybe 14 trains that didn't stop at Winsford station at rush hour and only two trains stopped that's exactly what HS2 is about reversing it's about taking those 14 non-stop trains putting them on HS2 so that each one of those trains can actually stop and indeed more can stop at stations like Winsford you know commuting stations local stations that serve commu- They're in the middle of small medium kind of villages, towns, communities that are rail-served, and indeed ones that perhaps aren't yet rail-served. That's what HS2 is about. It's about reversing that situation. So for me, that that example, anyone who lives near a local station that's on a main line, go and stand, uh, and bear in mind that your stations that aren't on the main line often have to feed onto the main line as well. Go and stand in one of those stations and count how many trains at rush hour go through without stopping, and that will provide you the answer as to what HS2 is about. It's not about getting to London faster. It's about letting the rest of the network work far better
0: yeah i'd really agree with that actually that it hasn't been very well communicated to someone say i will always go back to the midlands who lives in in tamworth or, or lincoln uh, or loughborough and then they might think you know i'm not getting a high-speed train so this isn't going to affect me at all but exactly, what you've like- just said is that actually it will because they'll get a lot more services because of that release capacity locally
1: yeah. And, and no effort was made to localize those benefits at all. And part of the problem for this, I suppose listeners might be interested to in well why is that the case? Well, unfortunately it's a case it's a classic case of Treasury group think again because um, our our the way that we develop projects is that we have this headline business case. Um, and the the way that the 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 Treasury Green Book works—that's the document that people develop. These, you know, the, the transport appraisal guidelines feed into this Green Book, which is allow, allows us to derive these business cases and justify public spending um, in a very strange kind of upside-down way. Well, that basically relies entirely on journey time benefits, and obviously that that and that might immediately start indicating to people why that why road projects get ben, get get the obvious handouts over rail projects there off the bat because so many more people have to drive but those journey time pr- improvements were what the were what the system kind of was was churning out the business case was churning out which meant that that was the information that was being fed to the advisors of of ministers and then the last thing you want to do is be telling ministers a different thing to what's in the business case because no one knows you know you're going to end up people tying tying shoelaces the wrong way around um, and tripping over themselves so th- that message is the one that ends up getting shouted about, and that's why we ended up with the the idea that it's just about faster trains. Unfortunately, a lot of people advocating for the project just didn't understand that that was only really a, a secondary or even tertiary benefit of the line. Um, so yeah, it's it's it is frustrating that, that that's the message that has been that's made its way through. And and ultimately, you know, for anyone who's who's you know who lives in particularly, you know, they, they, when I talk about localizing the the benefits, I mean, like talk about somewhere like Newark, right? Newark, which has. Um, you know, suffers from problems because you've got trains that hammer through through rush hour on the on you know, all the lnar trains that don't stop which means that you get a pretty poor service for me i was commuting to doncaster for a while from york these are the two major yorkshire cities right next to each other and there was only one train i could get that would get me into doncaster on time to make a 9 a.m start and it would meant that i had to then sit around in doncaster for about an hour like that's crazy what on earth is going on and all of that is because most trains from york southwards just don't stop anywhere so yeah that's what hs2 is all about
0: so in the current hs2 business case which i am <clears throat> absolutely sure you're better acquainted with than i um are these benefits to local people so a benefit of you know someone taking a job from york to doncaster for example because they don't have to wait in a train station for an hour are those benefits accounted for in the current hs2 business case?
1: Uh, They are not, no, not at all. And this is one of the real problems, is that so many people shout and scream about this business case that, you know, business cases are a political tool. They don't mean anything in terms of any real scientific or kind of meritocratic uh, kind of basis. They're just really a tool to sort of vaguely weigh up one thing versus another. And in terms of, for a massive strategic project like this, they're, they're an entirely useless tool for understanding the benefit. Again, it comes back to needing this, as I talked about in part one, needing a plan. Britain's railways lack a plan. Without a plan to measure against the strategic benefits of any given scheme, you can't really understand what's a good idea and what's a bad idea. And so so yeah, it's worth pointing out, and this this comes to, to all of its benefits when it comes to environmental or strategic or whatever, just 2s main benefits are not included in its business case. Worth just explicitly putting that out there, which seems crazy, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, right, well, on that note, let's get back to the mythbuster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, so I've personally heard this one a lot recently, given, you know, where government spending is, where government finances are, and, you know, post-pandemic we're having to make some I quote, difficult decisions. Mm. But what would you say to someone that said, HS2 is a waste of money. We should spend the money on the NHS instead.
1: So there are lots of different ways, angles of attack on this on this uh, sort of... Uh, and and it, you're right, it comes up a lot. And it's going to come up a lot about the existing railway network at the moment as well. In fact, it is. There are a lot of people feeling a bit uncomfortable in, in, in our existing railway network because there is lots of discussion, utterly bizarrely, about the idea that the railways need to contract at this point when we need to be doubling their capacity by the middle of this century. But anyway, so um, I'll try a few of those different angles and maybe okay. one of them will stick. So the first angle is, um, well, firstly... HS2 is only costing between two and four billion pounds a year. The existing railway network gets seven billion pounds of investment a year. The NHS gets about 130 to 140 billion pounds a year from the treasury. Um, So what a trivial little extra bit of money that would be for a massive strategic loss in moving people and things around this country. So that's kind of one angle. The second angle is that's not how government finances work. Uh, because there is no pot of money that has HS2 scribbled on it. In, There's in no the bank account overflowing There's no the, bank account. Yeah. Pub, public finances are not like household finances at all. It's it's not like, um you know, I've, I've got a credit card that I'll reach a limit of. You know, that investment in HS2, actually, by the fact that you are, you're, you're you're investing your 80 billion quid, you're paying a load of engineers, you're paying a load of organisations, those engineers, those people get more skills, so they earn more. They're also being paid for that specific job, which means that they're, paying more tax they're spending more on things they're maybe buying more items and and they're you know their their money then goes to someone else who then that that person who's also they've been paid to you know because they've got another shop job has appeared all this cascade of money the pound going round and round and round means that you get a huge benefit from that investment that money then results in a tremendous increase in tax receipts and even though taxes do not pay for government spending, which is uh, maybe a, one for another discussion yeah. with a, with an, a proper economist, but essentially, even by kind of the, if you like, the kind of the traditional household finances framework, which is completely wrong, by the way, but that, that investment results in lots of extra pounds to spend on the NHS, which is daily revenue spend. So actually, if you cancel HS2, you're resulting in there being less money available for schools, for the NHS, for public services. So uh, no, that's, it's completely backwards.
0: Okay, and I think you know we should obviously add that it's 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 lovely that people want the NHS to to have more funding, and often a lot of absolutely people the NHS do, is
1: chronically we, underfunded. We need know, to be lot, spending much more on it. Yeah, yeah.
0: A lot, a lot of people <laughs> who have these objections is because they're not exposed to certain arguments. So hopefully, this is this is this is good, and it will change a few minds. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: it's 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 the it, unfortunately, it's the it's very convenient for people who uh, generally, you know, people in power to sort of draw these comparisons because it, it makes it look like they're having to balance difficult decisions about spending when actually it's just not not the case really we could invest in all of these things you know we could suitably spend uh you know suitably invest in the nhs suitably invest in transport um without any real problems unfortunately it's yeah. So it, it's it, it, it's unfortunately, that, that means that it's easy to then mislead people, which is unfair because then people end up in arguments that they otherwise yeah. might not be.
0: Yeah. Um, so, again, let's let's go back to this whole levelling up um, argument then. So uh, I've heard a few times that HS2 will actually have an opposite effect to levelling up. Some say that it will drain talent and resources out of other, you know, city centres, out of mm. parts of the Midlands and the North and just draw everything more so back into london do you agree with that
1: yeah so it comes back to this idea that hs2 is just about fast trains you know th- th- this this argument comes completely from this idea that hs2 is london centric comes unfortunately from a very very london centric view of the way that railways work it's actually the, the railways m- about more you know london benefits from having already having a pretty well segregated railway network you know you have the fast the, the express lines generally serving the big termini are generally their own self-contained thing. And then the local network is its own thing. And there's a tube as well. You know, so um, actually... It's obvious, as we've discussed, the benefits of HS2 are not on HS2 at all. They're for the, re- the regions that have a, a tremendous capacity release. So the city centres, the ability for the cross city line through Birmingham to run many more trains, the ability for Manchester to, to actually start solving the Castlefield corridor that caused so many problems back in 2018 um, with that timetable collapse that lots of people might remember with wincing faces. And, you know, these are the challenges that that HS2 allows us to start solving properly. HS2 is not a thing, a panacea in and of itself and on its own. It stands, it has to stand as part of a bigger strategy. But without it, we just can't solve these problems. So, no, the opposite is true. Actually, HS2 is, is very much about everywhere but London. The release capacity benefits in, in and around London are not so great because there is already a very good transport network in and around Greater London. The massive benefits are outside of London. And, and it's about the fact that people can live in, you know, people can live in commuter towns outside of city centres. Um, and, you know, you can broaden the the sphere of skills and talent in those towns because you can improve the local railway network so people can get into workplaces more easily. These are the benefits. And and, and, and worth pointing out, that doesn't get undermined by COVID's changing travel patterns, by the way, because COVID has only accelerated travel patterns that have changing travel patterns that have already been well, kind of well-established Uh So, yeah, I just thought I'd point that out for people who might. You
0: could argue the reverse, that whereas before someone in a a peripheral town that doesn't have a great train service, who would have been tempted to, you know, take their skills and move into a city centre... Perhaps now they are post-HS2, they'll have the opportunity to stay because their local train service will be better um, so they can stay in that community.
1: Absolutely. Let's go back to Newark. Someone in Newark, they do actually have just having just said they don't have a great service. They've got a pretty good service into London if you pick the right time to stand on the platform. Um, But their service into Nottingham is hopeless. Uh, And so actually, if you've got HS2 allowing a capacity release and more east-west services through Newark, then... That allowed because you know, currently, there's you know, for all sorts of reasons, there's there's challenges through Newark, and um, that means that maybe they're going to decide to get a job in Nottingham instead of London. Absolutely,
0: great. Um, so, um, let's go back to budget then. Um, <laughs> the yeah. to, some say is over budget and it's will be years late, some say, and also, um, comments like just look at Crossrail, um, which of course is has been uh, <clears throat> slightly delayed. So, we've we've already slightly touched on this but there are huge challenges in delivering a project this size it hasn't you know it's been broken up into some phases but other people are saying you know it should be broken down even smaller to make it more manageable how do you think we can overcome some of the challenges in terms of budget and time scales of delivering a project of this size and do you actually think that deeper systemic changes are needed to achieve this
1: Absolutely. So fundamentally, the issue we have in Britain is that we don't do this sort of thing enough. We, we just don't spend nearly enough of our GDP on improving transport infrastructure. You know, we lots of I, I talked in part one about my, part of my inspiration for going into the, the railways as a as an engineer was because I grew up seeing lots of motorways being built. And I did find it fascinating. I was intrigued by this huge, tremendous earthlifting going on and these changes to our landscape. And then as I got older, I realized that it was, you know, all of that was actually embedding some of the worst some of the some real challenges we got now from all that surge in motorway building that happened through the through the 80s and 90s so um we're not very good at building railways we don't build enough railways in this country you know we don't really build any so the skills that we need the people we need to actually do that right and the the, the knowledge we need and the processes that we develop and the and indeed the legal process and the legal framework in order to facilitate these sorts of projects just isn't in place Boom and bust, as we hear on so many things, such as railway electrification and and, and other sorts of things, boom and bust is the enemy of efficiency. If you're delivering things as one massive hit once in two decades, then it's going to be more expensive to do them, and they're going to be more complicated, and they're going to go over budget. Actually, I'm not too worried about things going over budget because unfortunately in this country we've bred a, a kind of we're bred to under cost things at the start to get them past treasury. So don't worry too much about budget. and any in any case, as we've discussed, every pound that's spent on hs2 is a good thing. so it's okay, so long as the project underlying it is healthy, budget, overruns i wouldn't be too worried about what i would be worried about is delays to it being built because it needs to happen as soon as possible we can't particularly the east midlands and the north cannot deal with delays and delays and delays and, and even worse it then being de-scoped so so yeah um that, that, that's one of the key challenges is that is, is is us having a pool of people who are able to deliver this work um and actually having it as part of a plan so understanding that these projects will fit into being part of a longer-term plan is really critical and if you have this umming and eyeing, this hokey-cokey, this government kind of briefing and counter-briefing about whether, oh, it's going to get cancelled, oh, it's not going to get cancelled, all oh, this, all oh, that, then you know what contractors are going to do because they've got to pay their staff? They're going to just crank up their rates because they can't justify, if they've not got confidence in their pipeline of work, they're going to have to front load those costs. So. Really, lots. Of, it's very much a self-defeating cycle. So, yeah, it has to be systemic change to change that. And, and again, my I come back to Treasury. We need to change the rules about how Treasury delivers work and its reluctance to spend money on anything.
0: It's really interesting. Um, so HS2 has been banded as, I really despise this term, but a rich man's railway. And some people have said that actually it's going to be too expensive for normal people to use and um, so it won't affect their lives. What would you say to that?
1: So I'm going to count them off on my fingers so I don't forget the answer to okay. this because there are three <laughs> answers to this, right? Number one, um, well, we've already discussed that HS2 is about existing railway network benefits. Yeah. So so that, that puts the idea that it's just for business travellers to bed. But also this idea that high-speed travel and, and long-distance travel is just about business travellers is nonsense. It's total gibberish. I, I don't know where on earth it's come from because... Actually, the vast majority of long distance travelers are leisure travelers, are students going back to see family or heading back to their halls. There are you know, people meeting friends in, in different parts of the country. This idea that you know the the person in the bowler hat, it, it form, this man in a bowler hat, forms a majority of of long distance travellers is is a fiction that I I can't quite put my finger on where it's come from, but it, none of the statistics about rail travel or indeed long distance travel across modes bears bears witness to it. So that's a bit of a strange one. Um, and then the third thing is about the the rich map the focus on the cost the ticket costs right I've, I've managed all three this is I was I knew I thought I was going to forget one and I haven't right so the third one is about fares now fares are a policy decision set by government and we are still many years away from hs2 being um open you know opening and running so the idea that 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 is something that that's set by government so we need to vote people in who are going to manage and correct fares but I will say this. Two things on that. Firstly, HS2's whole business case, dubious as it is, is based on fares being basically the same as they are now on long distance services. Number one. Number two, um the challenge with fares we have in Britain is that we have this tremendous constraint on capacity on the network. And as a result of that, we can basically charge what you know, the, the network, you know, train operators and, and really government, because government is the one who controls fares. Government can charge what they like for train tickets because the demand is such that people will pay it. The only way to kind of counteract that is by increasing the number of seats so that everyone can get a seat, so that the fares have to come down to encourage you know to to manage that demand. So actually, HS two by allowing a, a doubling or a tripling of, of of capacity on the you know of the number of seats available for people to travel on on the existing network, in some cases even more than that, allows a reduction in fares. Mm-hmm. And yes, policy has to back it up, but ultimately on on these three fronts of well, HS two is not about the fast stuff on um, the fact that business people form a minority of long distance travel and the fact that well, the whole point is that fares will reduce with HS two in an ideal world. That rich man's railway claim is, is one that really annoys me. It's just wrong on every can. Mm.
0: I mean, any any economist will talk to you about supply and demand, don't they? And in yeah, exactly. fact, you know, it's much more likely that you can get a good deal on say fireworks in march than you can on the, the 4th of november yeah. um we've, we've i think you know a few people have commented during the pandemic when rail services were reduced actually the, the average ticket price did increase because you know the the services were full um whereas with hs2 if you're taking some of the traffic off then those local services might become or slightly less fast services the ones that we have now might become slightly more affordable yeah,
1: so. I, and there is a justifiable case to point the finger at treasury because the the opportunity to reform rail fares there has not been a better one in the history of britain's railways than the last year and a half and it wasn't taken and in fact fares have continued to rise through the pandemic despite the fact that people are we need to encourage people back onto the railways. so there is again there's this justification that treasury causes all, all these problems that you know some of those embedded behaviors and attitudes and groupthink within treasury cause a lot of those problems is that Really, if supply and demand worked properly with fares, we should have seen a reduction in fares during the pandemic. As as that ramp up, as you know, as, as the number of seats exceeded the number of travellers, but we didn't, and that that's indicative of a deeper underlying kind of lack of health in the way that our government kind of. Uh, Ministry ministerial departments function, uh, but that's one for another time. I think. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so finally, I've got one more question for you, Gareth. I thought you know I might as well rile you up before we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we've 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 um, we've discussed this in part, but this is probably the most used objection I see, particularly from politicians who don't agree with the project or who have constituents who might not be as for the project. And that is, we don't need HS2. We should invest in local services instead.
1: Oh, so there's me banging the table. um, (laughs) Yeah, it's one I hear so often. And actually, there are probably about a half dozen ways to respond to this. Um, The first one is, and I'll keep it short because I've banged this drum enough, hs 2 is about those local services. that is HS2's main benefit is on the existing network for more local services as we've explained you know as a, kind of in both part one and, and at the start of this of this section of the podcast. Um, but also let's let's take some other sort of angles to, to explain this one. So secondly, Hey, we are investing in local services. Actually, we're spending, as I say, network rail, which manages the existing railway infrastructure, spends seven billion pounds a year. HS2 will never reach that much annually being spent. Not even, not even it'll it'll reach about half that at its peak of construction. So, so it is happening. And thirdly, often people, you know, cite, and I, I have a QI klaxon that I get going blaring loudly in the background <laughs> for this. Whenever I mention it, people will say, well, reverse beaching instead. It's like, well, okay. So when people say reverse beaching, what they mean is reopen railway lines that were closed in the 60s, which isn't actually as great an idea as it might sound to people in rose-tinted spectacles. But say we did, we say we, and we rightly should be opening new rail services to places that currently don't have stations or perhaps don't have the right level of provision. We absolutely should be doing that. But in order to do that, Those trains need to pull into major stations. The the train services that are running out into the the hinterlands of these Midlands need to run into Derby. They need to run into Nottingham. They need to run into Birmingham New Street, or you know, or Moor Street, or all these different stations that are currently crammed full of long distance services, sat not doing very much because they are, you know, particularly in Birmingham New Street is a key example. Those trains sit there for ages because they have to turn. A lot of them turn around to go back down to London Mm, again, using up valuable platform space. So those new services where are they going? if you don't upgrade the existing net if you don't provide this leaping capacity, where are those services going? so yeah there are lots of issues with that and and ultimately it's um, the answer the short answer to it is do both it's do both everyone <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fantastic. I'm sure I'll see you on, on Twitter soon saying uh, saying something similar, Gareth. Um, thanks so much for busting some of the common HS2 myths today. Hopefully our listeners will feel um, they have a, a different point of view to consider. Um, and um, really appreciate your time over these two podcasts. And I'm sure we'll speak again once we know what's in the integrated rail plan.
1: Indeed. We await it with bated breath. No, thanks, you Sophie. That's brilliant.
0: Cheers, Gareth. Have a good one. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to The Engine Room. Keep an eye on the Midlands Connect website for more new episodes.